Hello, welcome to Shepherd the Sheep. Today, uh, three of us are in studio to talk about conflict. We're going to pick a fight and we're going to have a fight. All right, let's pick a fight. Ramil's in studio. Hello. Gina's in studio. Hey. Thomas is here. We are. We all have food close to us. Uh, we have hot drinks, so no throwing drinks at each other. Just a little ground rules to start off with. An interesting discussion. Uh, I think some things were learned this morning by some of us that didn't know things about others of us. It's good. Yep. I so. I didn't even know this. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Well, it makes sense, but um, here we are in studio. We're, we're Two of us are drinking good coffee. I won't say who's drinking the bad coffee. Um, well, I guess I'm done with my coffee. I moved on to tea, So, but lamenting the lack of loose leaf tea. Mm. Yeah, so uh, once you get a good loose leaf tea, it's, uh, that's the way. This is good stuff. So anyway, I think most people don't realize I like loose leaf tea. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little unknown fact for you there. Because you talk about coffee so much. Yeah. 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 But in the winter, I love hot drinks, but there's only so much coffee you can drink. <laughs> like I can't drink six cups of coffee a day, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That The stuff I, and the stuff I drink would be, I'd be like walking around in jitters and like the, you would just like, you'd be like, why is he in the hospital again? Well, I got six cups of coffee again today, like an idiot. So, yep. All right. Well, we're here to pick a fight. I'm excited. Let's do it. All right. So, um, picking a fight, uh, we are here to talk about conflict. Uh, conflict is a part of life. Um, we're going to, we're going to approach this, um, some myths, uh, we're going to talk about how conflict will always exist this side of heaven. Uh, we're going to talk about, we're going to look at um, different angles that, uh, different angles in a conflict that you will experience, right? Because sometimes you're the source, sometimes you're a part of it, sometimes you're on the receiving end. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about why people fear conflict. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what are some wrong responses to conflict or wrong reasons to engage conflict, uh, which is a, which is a very important point as well. Um, knowing what hills to die on, which we're going to mention briefly, but we have a whole podcast on hills to die on too. So, um, we're going to talk about James four one a little bit, and we're going to talk about what I should be willing to do and what resolution looks like, because I think, I think just in terms of teaching it, at a study recently, uh, all of us kind of thinking through it. This, this has been a lot of this has been brewing in our minds for some time, uh, shepherding people for 10 plus years, uh, working with people for a long time. You, you come to realize, right. That in my head, there should be no conflict. 
and the presence of conflict is bad. Um, and what I've come to realize is that what, what should be and what really is are two different things. And if all I dwell on is what it should be, oftentimes I won't actually just realize that what really is is where I need is, what really is is true. And I, by, by avoiding what really is, I actually make the problems worse. Right. So like in my head, there should be no conflict. So then when there is conflict, I get more upset at the presence of conflict because I myself am not ready to engage in the conflict. So the lack of accepting that conflict is going to exist actually makes my response at that point worse. Right. And so then you're yelling at your kids from upstairs because they're fighting Ah, they shouldn't be fighting. Well, I mean, they're kids and they're sinful and there's going to be conflict. The more kids you have, even the more sanctified you get as parents. That's a joke, tongue in cheek. <laughs> Hyperbole. That's a, that's a Gino and I comment there. Gino's like, that's right. I'm no sanctified guy. Oh yeah. I'm level five sanctification. Yes, you are. Yeah. 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 Uh, I totally, I, I grant it. <laughs> I, I'll grant you that. So, um, but, but anyway, but a lot of people, they don't like my tongue in cheek, dry humor. Sorry. Um, I'm drinking tea. It's like it's like British Day for me. Yeah, you have a um, spot of it. Yes, know. exactly. I need a scone. That, yeah. Oh, <laughs> that we did donuts. We should have done a scone. Anyway, um, so all that to say, we got some things to talk about. Uh, we're trying not to be distracted. Sorry for that. Um, uh, but I want to start off with this one thing because I think when you talk about conflict, you have to start with the right worldview that we live in. And so just real quick, we are sinful human beings and we have rebelled against God. And if you understand humanity and sin as beautiful and as wonderfully made as we are and as amazing creatures as we are in our rebellion against God, that means we are in conflict with God. So when we talk about conflict, the, our worldview, our way of understanding conflict should be influenced by this simple reality. When God, how does God deal with human beings who are in conflict with him? And I think no matter what, no matter what is said today, no matter what we talk about, no matter what situation you're in, I think starting with, wait a minute, what has the Lord taught me about dealing with conflict with me personally? That should be the most influential determining factor in our responses to conflict. So God didn't turn his back on the world. He didn't throw the world aside and go make a new world somewhere. He sent his son to die in our place so that we may be restored to him. And I think starting with the gospel is super helpful because God restored me through his son Jesus Christ. So, for me, how then do I do I then walk out the door and respond to conflict in any way that doesn't seek some kind of resolution and restoration? So, does that make sense? Yes. Okay. I don't know if I've had enough coffee. Wait. wait. Okay. One more time, the question, or like, how do I, what? Well, I'm just, I'm just saying, as we start this conflict study off, the foundation has to be the gospel. Okay. Yeah, the, the reality that God is a restoring God, right? Because 
if I understand the restoration I have, right, how do I then turn around and when somebody does something I don't like, right? I mean, we've, we've all lived long enough to know that, that kids will, will end friendships with each other over silly things. And at some point you think, oh, silly kids. And then you get into adult ministry long enough and you go, hmm, not a silly kid issue. Right. So when somebody's like, he's been a youth pastor for five years, what does he know about adult ministry? You're like, he knows everything he needs to know about adult ministry mm-hmm. because adults are not always, unfortunately, different from kids. And uh, we, we all have grown up to do. So <clears throat> my point is that the gospel is the foundation, and we have to think about everything through that rubrics of sin and God is restoring. Yeah, that's, that's really good, actually, because... Um, without that framework, you have um, y- you don't really have any kind of standard on how to deal with conflict. So that's that's a really great reminder and starting point. That uh, asking the question, well, you know, what, how did God deal with conflict? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm in conflict with my nose today too. By the way, <laughs> so I think the uh, restoration is rest, but we'll see. All right. So first conflict, I think, I think we just kind of, I kind of alluded, but first conflict will always exist. And I think you just have to be aware. I think, right. That the conflict is going to exist. You can't, again, kind of, as I mentioned, you can't just say, Hey, it shouldn't exist. You have to say it's going to exist. Right. So the, so, you know, that the starting point is conflict is going to exist. So then the question becomes, right, is the presence of conflict mean I'm ungodly? Hmm. Right? Does the, is the presence of conflict mean I'm ungodly? Or is it how we respond to the conflict that God is more interested in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that an open question? Yes. Yeah. Obviously, how you respond to the conflict um acknowledging that conflict is always going to be there makes the idea of how you respond to conflict the more important issue. Um, And as you just, you know, wonderfully laid out, the gospel, what's interesting to me is that a lot of people say, well, yeah, I believe in the gospel. I believe in what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for me. Um, And yet there's a disconnect between the way we apply the gospel in our lives, in our daily lives, and what we understand about him and his grace. And so when we think about um, the reality of conflict, like many of the various responses that we've seen that we're probably going to tackle here in a second, um, is disconnected from our understanding of the gospel, you know? And so your response to the reality of conflict really reveals what you believe and understand about the gospel. Yeah, I. It's it's also one of those. Just to be clear, I think when you get married, there's this. I don't know if it's unwritten expectation, or if somewhere along the idea that the notion is thrown out there, that godly couples don't have conflict. Yeah. Is that is that fair? Am I am I the only one that sometimes feels like that's the like assumption we live on? I think the assumption is that. Um, you know, if we're both believers, then we should never, because conflict is not the issue, because conflict is really the existence of competing values, right? 
whether they're good or bad. So even if there's a competing value or both good values, then conflict will exist. Yeah. Now, the question really now is, does it become sinful in our response? Um, because it, it, it doesn't have to be sinful. Like conflict could be actually uh, an opportunity to sit down and like, okay, let's stop and think and, Right, that'll be great if every single conflict ended that way. Let's think through this in a in a godly way. And if that was, a, but rather, um, we just assume that our value is better, and we fight for it. Maybe we didn't even think about it. Um, but yeah, so uh, going back to what was the original thing you said? Yeah, I just lost my thought, train of thought there. Um, but um, yeah, uh, oh yeah, so co- conflict um, is how we respond. Oh yeah, the assumption that godly couples don't get into conflict we all do the question is whether or not uh we respond to it rightly and i think we've all responded wrong you know in a, in a conflict whether the competing values are good or bad so that's the hard part like should there does that ever happen and i think we have to say if you're a human being yes it does all the time <laughs> so. yeah i but the expectation so like i think everyone around the table is is nodding yes that that there is this un maybe unwritten expectation that godly couples don't have conflict, mm. um, and mm. and the pressure that puts potentially on you or your spouse to then the presence of conflict brings a guilt that for some people makes pursuing the the any kind of resolution to the conflict even worse. And so in their mind, hey, if I just sweep it under the rug, then we don't have the conflict. And the unfortunate part is the response to that is often not godliness. And so it's often like manipulate. It often turns into manipulation, um, greater fear, fear of man, like all these other things start to come out because you are now trying to avoid conflict but sometimes still trying to get what you want. And so then you be, then oftentimes you become willing to manipulate other people just so there's no conflict in the house, you know, and you'll hear these little rules. Don't ever argue in front of your kids. Are you kidding me? Argue in front of your kids so they can see what it's like to deal with conflict and to deal with conflict resolution. Like show your kids what it's like to deal with that. So, Right, the, the the presence of conflict does not necessarily mean you're an ungodly person. Right, the presence of conflict, even what you said, you know, like, hey, we could, we'll sit down and logically go through this. Well, the problem is conflict is going to ensue right there because I promise you, if you sit two people down and say, here's the problem, write out the solution. Most of the time, your solutions are going to have two different trains of thought, and and come from two different backgrounds of worldviews and experience. Even if you're both Christians and both, both like, let's say you've taken all the same classes, been at the same church for 15 years, you're still going to be, there's still going to be nuances in your train of thought. That's different where conflict is then going to be exposed because you're not going to be a hundred percent like-minded on dealing with it. And so, right. Even there, like it's not the presence of conflict that makes you an ungodly couple. It's, how do you respond to it? And and I fear that some people have been living in their marriages for years or living with, with other people for years, and they're not saying things to other people in the church because if they confess that there's conflict, 
then in their mind, it's questionable whether they're a believer. And that's not so. We, mm. we actually have to learn how to conflict. Yep. And, and that this is, this is, I think, is the point of the podcast is to say, hey, you have to learn how to engage conflict. Agreed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So okay. you're talking. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, you're talking about the kind of person that uh, avoids conflict at any cost. Yeah. Sometimes. And, yeah. Okay. Or yeah. like, yeah, but it ends up turning into this ball of you know emotion or whatever, and things things bad things can happen from from that kind of situation where you're not actually dealing with it, you're just ignoring it, right? Mm-hmm. And you, in your at least in your heart, like you want something, um, and you're like not resolving it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I think you're also highlighting a very real uh, occurrence in Christendom, which is this social form of pressure that is brought about by framing Christianity in a certain way. And the way often Christianity is framed is, hey, if you're obeying Christ, you're doing everything right. And if you're doing everything right, then things such as conflict are always resolved in your house and they never happen. And so it creates this illusion in the church between each other, between each other's families that, well, they seem all right. That other couple, they seem all right. Not like us who will bicker and argue from time to time, et cetera, et cetera. And so now it creates a prison in my own mind that I am now like, unwilling to go to a brother and talk through some of the issues my wife and I are are dealing with, let's say, or me and my children, because I don't want to seem less sanctified, less holy, less Christian, less mature, less whatever, right? And that's, that's a pretty horrible environment to create, especially for people who actually need the wisdom to conflict better, as you would say. So um, I think that kind of internal social pressure that you put on yourself because of what you perceive to be Christianity um, needs to be dealt with, right? Individually and church-wide. Yeah. So that's why we're, we're as elders saying, it's okay that you have conflict. Let's help you think through how to solve the conflict. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, we live, I mean, part of it too is just recognize when you live in a sinful world, right? Again, the, there's, in my mind, there's what you should do and then there's reality. And oftentimes uh, in experience, some people are more hung up on what you should do. And there's a part of me that's like, you know, that, that like longing for you of what people should do. That's a longing for the new heavens and the new earth and you're not there yet. So yes, ideally everybody should do X, right? Or Y, but because you live in a fallen world, you can't expect that from a fallen world. So look forward to the new heavens and the new earth where everyone's going to do what they should do. Okay. But um, until then realize that because you live in a sinful world, you're going to experience conflict. Right. Okay. So, so at the, at this last study, I gave kind of five, um, five parts of this, like you're going to experience conflict. And I, and I tried to kind of think through conflict from different angles. And so, right. Some, and, and I think you have to be aware of these different angles because if you're not like, if you oversimplify this, 
then you possibly, um, you're possibly not going to respond rightfully to, to conflict, right? If in my head, I don't ever do anything wrong. So conflict is always somebody else. Well, then, then you're going to miss a huge factor that, that one you're involved. So here's, here's kind of five things I laid out for conflict. Sometimes I am going to, and I think you have to accept all of these. Sometimes I am going to be the main contributor to the conflict, right? Sometimes there's a small kindling of fire and you're the one that walks by and throws the log on the fire. Sometimes number two, you're going to be involved in other people's conflict, right? Sometimes at work, you're going to be in a meeting and conflict is going to erupt and you are a part of the conflict because you're a part of the team, right? So sometimes your kids are going to wage war and you're a part of that. Sometimes your spouse and your kids are going to wage war and you're a part of that. Sometimes um, you're one of multiple contributors to the conflict. So you have to realize sometimes I'm going to be involved in other people's conflict. And again, it, it, it always seems easier just to like turn your back and walk away, but you're not, you're not dealing with the problem. Sometimes I'm going to be on the receiving end of other people's sin. And that one's the hard one because in my mind, I did not wake up today. I woke up today with an agenda and the agenda was really good for me. But unfortunately my kids decided to sin against me and now I got to deal with that. Okay, so those are three sometimes, but four, I need to always ask, what role did I play? And five, would the other person say I play a role? And that, that's an important part because when a lot of times when we ask ourselves the question, did I play a role in this? Most of us think more highly of ourselves than we ought to and are quick to say, well, no, see, because of that person, I... And, and the reality is like, okay, it doesn't matter what that person did. I am responsible to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, no matter what other people did. So it is possible that the person put the poker in the fire and stirred it. And your response was to take the gasoline and throw gasoline on it. And then look at them and say, you made the fire that big because you poked the fire. I did this. Well, when you're standing before the Lord, he's not going to sit there and go, wait, you know what? Like, I know you murdered your neighbor, but it was okay. Because like, uh, again, he parked on your side of the street for the umpteenth time, you know, like, no, like it's, I have to accept that I probably played a role. And I think it's, I think asking the question, would the other person say I played a role? becomes helpful because then it actually kind of grounds you in your thinking and makes you realize, okay, it makes it to me, that's where conflict resolution starts to happen because you start to kind of go, wait a minute, how do I understand the other person Mm -hmm. and trying to understand Mm -hmm. the other person in the conflict is always beneficial. Never has understood trying to understand the other person in any situation been unbeneficial in the history of man understanding other people is always a good thing yes not caring about other people and trying not to understand him usually leads to bad things so it's kind of like we could make it a rule try to understand people yeah. so yeah yeah i think 
I love it because you're you're highlighting the importance of self examination, right? You're highlighting the importance of the biblical reality that we are always called to examine ourselves and take stock of what's in our heart and our motives and all of those things in every situation, no matter how angry you are at that moment. Um, and, and then you're also trying to understand an individual who is completely altogether separate from you, where you now have to practice a bit of empathy. You know, you have to practice um, putting yourself in their shoes and just understanding them better. And so, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about lately uh, in terms of listening and understanding people is this idea that, you know, as those who study scripture, we, we highly value um, expository preaching. We highly value exposition of scripture. And I started to think, you know, with exposition, you have to understand authorial intent and you have to do the hard work of studying all the sort of contextual related information to the author so you can understand authorial intent, right? Um, why not be an expositor of people, right? Like be an expositor of people, understand their background, understand where they are, understand their emotions at that very moment, understand the situation that you're both in at that very moment as you're trying to process through your own thoughts. And, and maybe you'll understand better what's happening, you know, through the if there is conflict at this very moment. And a conflict, right? Um, I, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes a conflict exists because two people want something. Um, what if they want something good and maybe they, you know, they did something, uh, or maybe they, yeah, they wanted something good and it caused the other person to be in conflict and even respond wrongly. Uh, what do you do in that situation? I mean, am I am I am I responsible if I was the person that uh, wanted something good? Am I responsible to maybe ask forgiveness for something in that situation? What does that look like? Jason, thoughts? Yes. Well, it, it's interesting because the litany of thoughts running through there. Um, one. Um, can I provoke somebody to anger or can I provoke somebody to respond wrongfully? I think I can stir the pot. I, th I think there's a reason why we have trolls. Like mm -hmm. I, I do think you can stir the pot. That's However, um, ultimately it's up to me to not let you stir my pot. Mm. Um, but in conflict, I, I usually think nobody handles conflict perfectly. And in fact, that that's often the problem is some people don't want to engage in conflict because they know it's not going to go well. And, and the reality is, yes, no one ever handles conflict perfectly. So I think if you follow these steps, we're trying to kind of like outline, you can, you can engage in conflict better. And I think no matter what you ask the question, what role did I play? What could I have done better? And you confess to that sin. Mm. Yeah, okay. Or that mistake. Even yeah. if it wasn't sinful, right? Like, in my mind, let's say let's say somebody disagrees with me and there's a little conflict because of it, but I didn't do anything wrong. And at the end of it, they're like, well, you didn't do anything wrong. 
I guess I just overreacted. I got mad. I thought blah, blah, blah. And you're like, yeah, okay. Like, there's a part of me that's like, man, if I could sit down and go through the tape, like like at, like at a football, at, you know, Monday, they pull up the tape of the Sunday game, they go through the tape, they know all the mistakes they made. Like, my guess is if I could get replay the tape, I made some mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so for me, it is helpful to sit down and go, hey, you know what? That this conflict does bring out, I, I should have understood that about you a little better than I did, especially if it's your spouse. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? I, I could have done a this this issue exposed that I don't understand you well enough in that area, and that's probably like like I could do a better job of trying to understand you better. Copy, yeah. Let me write this down. Put right. it in a little paper. Put, stick it in my pocket. Right. Pull out the paper. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be, that would be. Yeah, I could just see the look on your on Jesse's face when you like pull out this little scroll. Yeah. Hold on. Um, hold on. Hold on. You know what? I could have understood you. I could have understood you better. <laughs> Ten seconds later. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I I agree with that. I agree with all of that. I think one acknowledging that that you are not a perfect human being um, is so important because I think when we fixate on the right thing that I'm trying to pursue, right? Like even if you say, well, this is really right. Like one of, I don't know, maybe the thing is like, hey, we need to be more involved in church. We need to go to Bible study, et cetera. That, that usually causes conflict with the spouse sometimes, especially if your spouse is not very comfortable there. She, let's say, let's say she's not there yet, you know, in terms of your, your understanding and your thinking and how you value these things. Um, That's a good thing, right? But often you want it to happen so badly that you, you pressure, you pressure, you pressure without trying to understand where she's at, for example, and where she's at spiritually, where she's at in her convictions and all of those things. So now you're creating conflict by the constant pressure and that is something that you can acknowledge that because you want it so bad, you you maybe force the issue or whatever and things like that. And you can you can acknowledge impatience. You can acknowledge, you know, a lack of understanding and, and all of those kinds of things. So absolutely, I think being introspective in that regard um, actually helps with the conflict because uh, if you can acknowledge, for example, where you've fallen, this is maybe what I would latch on to that too um your spouse is always one the conflict usually escalates because both people are trying to get their point across so hard and they're talking past each other and usually your spouse is like well i don't know how this became about spouse and husbands but you know think about this in any different context as well they're just trying to know that you're listening and that you're trying to understand Right. So if you acknowledge where you've faltered and where you've failed, they can at least go, I see that you're examining yourself. I see that you're trying to understand me. I see that you're you're listening. Thank you. And it actually softens the conflict and de-escalates it rather than escalate it. You know, so. Yeah, that that happens at work. Like and, and one of the things I experienced as a manager is you'll have employees that come to work and do a job but they're not, they're not doing their job. And so sometimes that conflict resolves because as a manager, you're like, Hey, look, um, I, I know you really have a disposition to like what you're doing and, and it's great. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. However, I need you to do this. 
and and there's something in some of us to where we don't like certain responsibilities and again you see it in the kids like one of the chores is oh i gotta do that chore today so there there's in everything in life there is something we have to do that we don't like doing that we need to do amber's like financial report financial (laughs) report so um you know part of that manager right is the conflict ensues because you're like look I get that you want to do that, but I need you doing this instead. And so it's the same way, right? It's, mm-hmm. and, and this, this brings up a, a big point actually that if I could, if I could like take conflict in your life, right. And you as whoever the listener, one of you, me, and we wrote down what the issue was over. I'm going to say this 99.9% of the time, the issue is actually a good issue, right? Most of the time, what people want are good things, right? The, the reality is rarely is the conflict over some overtly evil activity, right? Kyle and I are not getting into a fight about killing the neighbor, right? Like, well, I think we should kill the neighbor on the left. No, let's kill the neighbor on the right. Like we are not fighting over, right? Whether or not we should rob a bank. We're not fighting over whether or not we should be jealous of somebody, right? Those are not the things that most people are in conflict over. Is that fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time it's, Hey, we want what's best for the middle child or for the, or for one of our children or our children and best, but maybe we just slightly disagree about what's best for them. Right. But, but the problem is, you know, in, even in that with your children, well, sometimes you'll, you'll hear the spouse and because the spouse isn't saying it your way, you assert, you, you can often assume that their way is like evil. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, um, let's take third grade graduations because this is a good one. When I grew up, we only had a 12th grade graduation. We didn't have first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, eleventh. So it is it is weird to me to hear about second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade graduations. Okay, so now with that being said, I also don't care if there are these graduations. Like the, the, I may have a personal opinion on them, but my personal opinion doesn't change the fact that they exist. And there are some people that are really excited about these graduations every year, right? They're like, Hey, we, and, and that's okay. Like, to, like, again, it is okay. If you're one of those people out there, that's like, I love the, the fourth grade graduation. I love that my kid at the end of the year can kind of feel the accomplishment and this, like take the step of moving on to the next year. Okay. That's fine. Right. So now when the spouse that really loves those is like, Oh, I can't wait. We're going to have a party and we're going to celebrate it and we're going to go. Right. And then the other spouse is like maybe a little bit more in my camp of like, uh, why are we doing this? Who cares about this? Right. The one spouse hears, Oh, you don't like our children mm-hmm. or you're not supportive of our children. Or do you want your kids to be sitting there at 25 years old resenting you because you didn't show up to fourth grade graduation. Right. And so because there's a disagreement on a way to view that issue, sometimes we run 
in our mind all of these possible like worst case scenario responses. And so again, all the other spouse is saying is I don't care about the fourth grade graduation. The, the other spouse is not saying I don't love our kids. And to be fair, the other spouse may be a great spouse, maybe a great parent, right? And, and spends time with the kid and loves the kid and nurtures the kid and protects the kid and teaches the kid and, and, is, and is an exemplary parent in every way you'd want to be an exemplary parent. It's just, who cares about the fourth grade graduation, right? Like that one, like as an outsider looking in, that one little incident's not going to scar, right? One incident typically should not scar somebody for life. I say typically because obviously somebody's like, well, what about like, blah, blah. yes, there are, there are things in life, right? Um, rape or, or other things that, that can be really damaging. But most of the time we're not talking about that. We're talking about like good versus gooder. Mm-hmm. Or we're talking about good from two different perspectives. And so, but that conflict ensues because, well, I want this and now you're not doing what I want. Yeah. You, you just described, by the way, uh, me and Chelsea's conversations about birthday parties. Like, oh, yeah. Like it okay. totally applies. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think it's really good understanding, you know, for example, that highlights a couple of things. One, it highlights values, right? Yes. Like the two different people will have a different set of values and a different hierarchy of values inside of their inside of their mind because of the way they grew up, their backgrounds, how they were treated when they were a kid and and growing up and all of those kinds of things. And they bring all of that to the table in terms of interpreting a situation. And so something that could be super important to them, not super important to you, but it still behooves us to understand why is that super important to this person? Like, why is that super important to them? How can I respond rightly? Which then brings in this other idea of compromise, right? Like every good relationship involves compromise. Like if you're a very uncompromising person, it always has to go your way. That's why there's that, you know, that adage, my way or the highway. You know, if you're a my way or the highway person, expect conflict to always escalate and blow up right because there's no compromise compromise doesn't mean you don't have convictions compromise doesn't mean you equivocated on something that's good and true and the the other thing that's getting highlighted in what you said is that the two competing good things the ultimate question is whose value are we going to prioritize at this very moment and that's the source for conflict is we're trying to address whose value at this time are we going to prioritize at this very moment. And compromise helps to soften that. Like you don't always have to come out on top just because let's say you're you're the dad and you're the leader of the household. There's this misnomer that my way has to always go because I'm the leader. And if it didn't go my way, then I didn't lead well. Well, that's not true. Sometimes you can lead by actually saying, you know what, we're going to do what you want, honey. Um, and showing that grace and showing that kindness and patience and, and doing that, you know, and then the love kind of grows inside of that household because there is a bit of compromise. Yeah. You're, you're talking about like when I hear compromise, I'm running it through my grid. That's servant leadership, right? Like preferring one another, deferring to one another, um, you know, and, and, and then let's take the graduation incident because, um, what you'd ideally like to see is, is both, both spouses deferring to each other. 
you know, so the one spouse you would like to see maybe calm down a little bit on the graduation. And maybe you'd like to see that spouse kind of answer the question, how do I know my spouse loves these kids? Right. Because if you ask that question in the conflict, a lot of, or outside of the conflict, a lot of times, like if, if things are going well, good and I just walk up to you and like, Hey, give me five reasons why your spouse loves your kids. Most of the time you can answer those. Mm-hmm. So if in your answer, you're like, Oh, Hey, these here's, here's 10 reasons why I know my spouse loves my kids. Right. A lot of times in the conflict that's forgotten. Mm. So in a way you kind of want to defer like, okay, Hey, he's got an important business meeting at work that day. You know what? Like it's good that he works and gets paid. So, Hey, little Johnny, your dad's not going to make it uh, to your graduation because if you don't work, you don't eat. And he's got some important business things that day and that's okay. Your dad still loves you. You know, in the grand scheme of things, this is a fourth grade graduation and as excited as we all are. And he's excited for you because he loves that you're growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You help Johnny put that in perspective. Right. So Johnny's like, well, dad doesn't love me. Then like if one of my kids were like, mom doesn't love me. I'd be like, are you, are you like, are you nuts? Like I would defend Kyle at that moment. Yeah. Right. But, and then you'd hope on the other hand, you know, maybe dad's like, oh, hey, you know what? Uh, I, I can get the afternoon off all right, I'll, I'll swing by for the afternoon and watch because it's important to you, mm-hmm. right? And so that I think that's one of the reasons why I think conflict exists is because we don't want to give up our time, energy, and resources to what the other person wants, mm-hmm. if I'm being honest. I think most of the it's time. It's inconvenient. It's inconvenient for yeah. me. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have goals. Yes. I got things I got to do. Right, which, so there's a couple things we haven't really brought up. Um, we haven't. Uh, we haven't really, we, we kind of are talking through these, some wrong responses to conflict. Um, and why do we fear conflict? I think we, I think we're kind of talking about these, right? Like, so, so just to kind of succinctly summarize some of what we're saying so that, so that somebody listening was taking notes, like, why do we fear conflict? And, and if I'm being honest, I think a lot of it is hurt feelings, inconvenience, um, every now and then somebody's afraid of being pugnacious, but pugnacious people are people that pick fights that love picking fights. So internet trolls, people that go in and are always trying to pick a fight with everybody's post. Those are pugnacious people. Um, you might be pugnacious if you're nitpicking everything your spouse does and pointing out every error and love to fight about it. You might be pugnacious if, um, all you want to do is engage in conflict, right? You might be pugnacious if the things that excite you in life are conflict. So there's a difference between being a responsible person who handles conflict and a pugnacious person. Early in the ministry, um, I was slow to engage in conflict because I used to be pugnacious. And coming out of that hypersensitive to, to even the fact that I think I can sometimes have an intimidating presence. And then when people get to know me, they're like, yeah, okay, whatever, dude. Um, but like Kyle will say, sometimes you come off as intimidating because you're also very black and white and direct. And so I don't know how black and white I am, but, but I get what she's saying. Sometimes I'm very direct in my speech. But I'm trying to do that to prevent there from being confusion on what I say. So when somebody reads between the lines with me, I'm always like, 
why, why are you reading between lines? When have I ever tried to like say one thing and give you double wink like I'm meaning something else? Like, like sometimes in my humor I do. I guess that's why it's confusing to people. But, but for the most part, right, I try to be very clear. And so the point with that being that um, there's a difference. Like the pugnacious person loves the fight. And so being hypersensitive, I actually avoided some conflict early on when what I needed to do was learn how to handle that conflict, even with my personality and coming out of that background. And I think maybe that's part of dealing with conflict because at some point we need to start to answer the question, what should I be willing to do? And each of us needs to realize our strengths and weaknesses and maybe learn how to navigate your weakness in the conflict. So like, Hey, Ramil, it's really hard for me to articulate my thoughts and my feelings, but I know I need to articulate them to you. So I'm going to try to express to you what I'm thinking and feeling right now. Um, and then try to express it. Well, Ramil, what did you just hear me say? Yeah, I'm, I'm hearing you say that one, like, I want to work through this, right? Um, the other thing is, is like, I think about like engaging, right? You're engaging. Because when you said uh, pugnacious, like, oh, I, I was naturally a pugnacious person before. I thought about the complete other direction where I was a runaway kind of person. Mm -hmm. I hated conflict, right? Like I, I really... Um, I did not like the discomfort of that. I did not like the stress, you know, a line that kept popping up in my mind. It's like, I don't need this right now. I don't need this. There's so much stress in my life already. It's like, why am I going to engage in this? This is very stressful. Um, it's chaotic, you know, and I have to now deal with emotions. I have to deal with my anger. I have to deal with all of these kinds of things with the situation that I'm in. Um, I have to deal with stuff that's kind of sitting there from when the time that I grew up, blah, 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 you know. But again, you could be pugnacious to where you're like you're chasing the conflict and you thrive on that and you really like that. And then you can also be the person who's like, I don't want conflict right now. And so the worst thing that can happen is that you acquiesce to both of those, you know, spectrums, right? Where ultimately you're engaging or disengaging in conflict in all the wrong ways, you know? So I just think about, um, you know, your point earlier, which is how do you respond to conflict you want to engage with it in a healthy and biblical manner. That's that's what I'm thinking about when you're saying all of that yeah. stuff. And and to be fair, when you ran from conflict, what did you end up like? Because we've talked a, bit, a little bit about this. Are you willing to share like when you ran from conflict? Did it? What what did you find it, it created in your relationships? Was there a level of manipulation that enters when you run from conflict? Oh, yes. Yes. So, Why? so, all right. You're saying, am I willing to share? I am willing to share. I'm always willing to share, um, the, the kinds of experiences that have, have shaped me. So like one of the experiences I had growing up were that, um, I was surrounded, um, by a, a certain kind of response to conflict. So whenever I would address something with somebody, one, the response was complete defensiveness, 
um, there was a little bit of gaslighting going on where it's like, hey, not, that's not going on. Like, what are you talking about? That's not true. Um, then there was deceit. Then there was manipulation. And so what that conditioned me to think was, hey, why should I even bother to address conflict ever anymore if this is always the response that I get? It's like the person's not going to acknowledge their faults. Um, they're going to turn things around on me. Um, and now I'm in trouble with within the context of our community or whatever because of the way that, that things are being done. And what that led me to think throughout my life is that one like i should never engage conflict because all this trouble is going to happen um when when that happens well the problem was that because i was conditioned that way i carried that into my marriage and so now when there's conflict between me and my spouse i treated it like that i ran away from it because i didn't know how to address it i didn't know how to process it you know yeah, and gaslighting is often seen when somebody, so when you come to me and you say, you know, Jason, I'm, I'm really offended when you, when you tell dad jokes. And a gaslighter, so me gaslighting at that point would be like, well, Ramil, you're coming to me in the wrong way. Right, like, like, and can you believe you're so insensitive? Can you believe you're so sensitive that you're, right? And so the gaslighter, has this way of taking your confrontation and flipping it back onto you and now making you feel guilty for being you. Yeah. Okay. Or, or it just drives you batty because if you say, I, I'm really offended by your dad jokes, like when have I ever told a dad joke? Oh, that's true too. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> and then you're just like, what are you, what? <laughs> yeah. Now, now we need to kind of sparse that a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So when conflict happens that you're not prepared for, most of the time we get defensive. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like when, when conflicts like an arrow and it shoots into your life and it hits you out of the blue, I keep thinking of Monty Python when they're, they're riding along and all of a sudden the arrow hits him. And so he's like, you know, message for you, sir. Mm -hmm. Well, the response to conflict at that point for, for 99.9% .9 of all people is to be defensive. Mm -hmm. So if you come to your spouse unexpectedly or a coworker or something, and you say something to you and they get defensive, their defensiveness is not gaslighting. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we need to realize knee jerk reactions are often not indicative of our behavior. They're often instead reminds us that we're still dealing with sinful people. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, right. Cause like if somebody cuts you off and you're unexpecting it, like a lot of times we get mad, you know? And again, I would not be like, Oh gosh, her meal's an angry person. I would be like, yeah, Ramil got cut off and he responded like 99.9% .9 of the world. Doesn't mean you're right, right? It doesn't justify you. It's just we need to realize that knee-jerk that, that knee reactions are often not a person's character. So the worst thing to do is to be like, well, Gino, like, but every time I bring it up, you knee-jerk react. And it's like, well, you know, but then Ramil comes on like, yeah, but why is it that every time you got you to gotta criticize Gino, why is it five minutes before service starts? Mm -hmm. like like you really do pick the worst times and here he is like focused on these other things right it's the same thing to tell the couples like start to tell them like look i know one of you doesn't like to talk about things until you laid your head down on the pillow but if your spouse the kind of person that falls asleep the second his or her head hits the pillow maybe you should bring it up a little earlier in the day it's unfair for you at this point like you should know that about your spouse 
And I get it. Yes, your spouse should want to stay up with you. However, it's you know what I mean? It's kind of unfair at that moment. So there's a difference between knee-jerk reacting. Gaslighters are people who habitually do it. Right. Yeah. There's never anything wrong with them. It's always your fault. Yes. 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 They're very manipulative. And, and it's very difficult to get something across. But I love the distinction you're making that not everything is that situation right there. And there are situations where we all do this. We knee-jerk react with defense. Yes. It's just, it's a flinch response, right? Yes. It's like uh, we all have a flinch response. Someone takes a swat at you, your, your hands go up, your head goes back, etc. Like we do that figuratively too, right? Like with, with subjects and things like that. We'll flinch and we'll be like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, and things like that. And I love that interpretation because that is a love believes all things kind of interpretation where if someone's being defensive from the get-go you can assume that hey that is just a natural response of someone who got blindsided by an issue now um and so if you are able to give them the benefit of the doubt and a little bit of time to interpret what's happening and a little bit of space where you're not like on them like a leopard on a deer or whatever you know and you're pouncing on them then then it's helpful for the conflict it's helpful for the conflict to um ensue and start the process of the all right so we had technical difficulties there but ramil's point was was that listen when we believe the best often that can actually help de-escalate an issue and i think that's that's what we're trying to do as we as we're talking that's probably a good summary like when to realize one that a lot of what we're in conflict over are good things. They're not bad things. Right. Um, now, obviously there are those times where, where somebody is in sin and they don't understand it. However, most of the time in most relationships, we're talking about good things. And so to realize one, okay, my spouse or this friend or this coworker probably wants something good is helpful. And then love believes the best which is also a part of de-escalating the conflict. Like, okay, hey, let me believe the best about my spouse. And in believing the best, that does help de-escalate the problem because it helps us not be so defensive. That, that's a good way to put it. Like we all, our flinches are, are often not good. So um, that's what we're talking about. We also, I think, I kind of want to just bring up this real point. Like some, I hear people say like, well, I'm just a stubborn person. And, I, and I've always been stubborn. That's my personality. I just want to cl clearly, quickly say, no, that's pride. That's not a personality trait. That is called pride. And everybody has pride. To be stubborn and then to say, that's my personality and other people need to deal with it, that's like, hey, I know you're trying to quit smoking and I know you have lung cancer, but here the solution to that is to actually smoke two packs. So it's, it's like layering and putting more icing on your pride cake. So like you've got to recognize, Hey, when it, this stubborn role and goes back to what you're saying, right? Love wants to compromise. So, uh, sorry for technical difficulties there, but, um, that's the first time that's ever happened to us. That's crazy. Um, yeah, gee, I don't know what happened there. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, we are in conflict with the, uh, with the, uh, technology so today. much conflict today oh, we're just picking fights everywhere all right so um we we mentioned this but i don't know that we really have time i do also think it's helpful to realize in conflict 
that you, there are some hills you don't need to die on. Um, somebody asked the question, right? Because, hey, when I see my spouse do something wrong, do I need to say something? When do I say something? And to me, that's a hill to die on, right? Like, so if Kyla does something that's pretty outside of her normal, and let's let's say she does, let's say I hear her yell at the kids. She never yells at the kids. Now, I have two choices, right? I'm in the back room. I can walk out and be like, Kyla, how dare you yell at the kids? Uh, and I can get onto her for that. Or I can run it through this rubric of, wait a minute, do I hear Kyla ever yell at the kids? No. Okay. Is it possible that she just had a bad moment? And oftentimes the answer is yes. And for Kyla, she probably already feels bad for doing it. Like, do I really need to go in and say something, right? It's like when you go to work and you got five managers and you make one mistake and all five managers have to point it out. By the fifth manager, you're like, oh, yes, I know. I didn't put the correct cover sheet on the TPS report, <laughs> right? But you had to hear about it five times. Well, that's exa- that's exhausting and exasperating. If you're living with a teachable, humble person who confesses their sin, a lot of times they're very aware that they had a bad moment. And for you to come and say something actually exasperates the issue. It's not actually helpful, right? So in that case, I would say don't say anything. Um, however, if your spouse is always yelling at the kids and is always losing it with the kids, I do think it's fair at that point to set to, to come to him and say, Hey, how do I help you quit losing it with the kids? Like, I love you and the kids love you, but can we talk about your conflict resolution with the kids? So I think at that point it's fair, but I think you got to come in also with the desire to understand the other person. Hey, what is it about the kids? That's always frustrating you. You know, and, and come in and ask questions. Cause again, if you misunderstand them and you assert your train of thought onto them, that may not actually help them. Whereas if you can say, Oh, okay, I see you assumed today that things were going to be great because the first two hours are great. And then the house blew up because the kids were sinful and your expectation was not to deal with it. Well, right now I can help you with that. Hey, you know what? You just got to be aware in life that at any given moment, your kids might sin and it might creep into your zone. So you just got to be prepared. You got to be ready. You got to be willing to roll with that. Um, right. So there are ways to help you through that. Um, okay. So just to summarize, conflict will always exist. You live in a sinful world, understand your role. Um, recognize why you fear conflict and maybe even when you try to pursue conflict resolution, maybe even tell the person you're talking to, Hey, this is really hard for me because I don't like hurting people's feelings, right? This is really hard for me because I don't articulate well my thoughts and my feelings. Hey, this is really hard for me because, um, I never, I've never done this before. Okay. So the only other thing I would say is look at James four one through, through those verses, because what James says, what are the source of your conflicts? And here James is interesting. It's because you lust because you do not have, and you want something, right? And so you want one thing and you and the other person wants something else. So if you hold your right hand up and say, okay, my right hand wants this and you hold your left hand up and you say, okay, but my left hand wants this now cross them. Right. And realize that the conflict is often not the hands. It's where your it's where your forearms are meeting. And that's the conflict. The conflict is often competing desires. 
competing wants. It's often, I want what I want. You want what you want. And somebody has to bend and I want you to bend. So often the hands are not the problem. Again, most of the time what we, what, what both people want are good things, are noble things, are things that are valuable. Yes. The conflict is in the, I want my value. Your value is getting in the way of my value, right? So the reason why you war over money is because your money is limited and the solution isn't to have more money. Because at the, the, the more money you have, the more expensive things you can want. The problem is both of you want the resources to go to what you want them to go to. So as a couple or as a, as a household, you have to learn to say, wait a minute, our resources are for God, for his household, to take care of this house. And then learn how to navigate the, okay, hey, you want, you want some extra income to be able to buy your Starbucks on your way to work? Sure, go ahead. Right. Like, like that's where you have to work things out. That's why money is such a problem. It's not the money. It's that the limited resource exposes the desires of your heart and the other person's desires cut into your desires. And now the money represents what's going on at the heart. So, right. So James is helpful because James makes me realize it's often not what we want. That's the problem. It's that my desires and this other person's desires are competing. So now with that in mind, how do we respond to conflict? And that is here. Um, first, what we've said a hundred times in this podcast, be willing to pursue reconciliation. Um, you have to be willing to pursue reconciliation. Uh, second, don't try So kind of one B don't run from it. Don't avoid it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't cower to it. Be willing to pursue reconciliation. And so the second point is listen and seek to understand the other person and what he or she wants and what his or her, what are his or her goals. And again, that was your point earlier, Ramil, right? When I really can now start to understand the other person, it puts me in a position to serve them. Because remember, I, Philippians 2.4 still applies to conflict. Do not look out for your own personal interest, but the interest of others. I am a servant leader. Whether you have an elder title or not, if you bear the title Christian, if you are a saint, you are a servant. And your goal is to serve others. Now, that doesn't mean you let others walk all over you. That's not what we're saying. Um, that doesn't mean you let people manipulate you into evil actions. That's not what we're saying either. What we are saying is your goal in your conflict is to understand this other person. Hey, I don't understand why you're so upset. Can you help me understand? Because I don't want you to be upset. I don't want to do things that upset you. I want you to come to work and enjoy this job. I'm thankful for you as an employee. Can you help me understand why you're so upset? What is it that's bothering you? Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm just really sensitive today because my spouse and I are going through issues. Oh, okay. That's fair. You know what? Now that I know that, hey, would it be helpful for you to take the day off? You know what I mean? Try to, like, try to find mm-hmm. a way to serve the person. Um, but if instead we just jump on them, a lot of times we, we can solve problems in the immediate and create bigger problems in the long run by not trying to understand the people that we work with. Is that a fair point? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like I squelched you right now. And the problem is off my table right now. The problem is I lit the fuse and the time and the, the, the bomb just went into the future. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Thoughts? Absolutely. Um, uh, I would I would say that, you know, circling back around to the very, very beginning point, which is you are trying to live life, a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're a servant leader, you think about how the gospel applies to any conflict that you have in life. And you're thinking about how am I pointing this person to Jesus Christ? Um, and if you have that framework in your mind all the time um, in terms of the way you deal with conflict, it kind of helps you navigate it better. It helps you to think, okay, I need to think I'm going to point this person to Christ through my words and my actions and just kind of go from there and hopefully go through reconciliation, you know, and working things out. Yeah, we're going to have to have some conflict resolution with the kids here in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> expectations. Yeah. That, that's, yeah. Uh, and I think that's why we've talked about expectations so much because oftentimes they are rooted in that conflict. I expected this for you. I assumed this from you. And then when I didn't get those, mm-hmm. again, there's some conflict there because we have competing desires, competing expectations. Um, and that that's where it's helpful to understand, right? Like, Hey, why, um, why did you expect this? Mm. Why did you assume that? Mm-hmm. Um, I can tell you, you know, being in, in organizations for, for 25 years that every problem, when you get into it, a lot of time, a lot of times in the, the organization's problem was this, um, especially in a project, there was assumed goals or expectations that were not communicated or were not clearly communicated. Um, and that, that can be twofold. One, I just assumed we were all trying to do this. So I didn't say it, but you actually kind of had a slightly different variation of that goal. And again, both the goals are good, but because we didn't articulate it clearly, you know, that's why we try to tell the church all the time. We're here to make disciples because it is possible that you think we're here to preach the word. There's a, there's a slight difference. Right, making disciples. Now, if I'm here to make disciples, preaching the word becomes a part of the disciple making process. But if we're just here to preach the word, then one all the one another's don't matter. Mm-hmm. Hey, we're here to preach the word. Uh, that's ministry. So you show up and listen to the word preached, and then you go back home and you've participated in ministry because you listen to the word of God. Well, that that's not that's you know what I mean. So mm-hmm. if you just assume the goal, people can start to take variations of it. And they get off, they get off base. And so now, even though we are all kind of walking in the same direction, we're really not right. The lines are all slightly pointed at different areas. So one's pointed true North one's pointed at, you know, degree, uh, three one's pointed at three fifty eight, three fifty nine. Well, closer to the source, we all look like we're together, but as time goes, it starts to reveal that, Oh, we're actually quite far apart even though when we all started walking together, we were kind of similar in our trajectory, but three miles down the road, you're not going to see each other because you're, you're going to be so far off 300 miles down the road. You're not going to see each other. So that conflict, right? Assuming goals and assuming motivation and assuming expectations, right? In, In organizations, you can't assume that you've got to constantly communicate that. But even in conflict resolution, 
that's where it's helpful to know what is your goal? What is your desire? What was your expectation? Why did you have that expectation? Like to me, that's helpful too. Mm-hmm. Well, I expected the house to be clean when company came over because I don't want anybody to know we lived here. Okay. That's helpful. <laughs> now I may disagree with your goal. I may disagree with your expectations. However, it's at least good that I now know them because in my mind, you know what, if this is a big deal to my spouse, then you know what? I can clean up the house. Like it takes what? 20 minutes, 30 <laughs> minutes, 40 minutes. Um, wow. Yeah. I may That's not. Quick. I know. <laughs> I know. I may not put my <laughs> shoes up. Um, you know, I may not go put my shoes back in the closet, but that's logical and makes sense. But you know what I mean? Like, it's helpful. So, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think what you're, uh, so, because after the conflict, what you're talking about is being able to, because the next step, right, you get, you have a conflict, it's ungodly, um, you have to reconcile. That in-between step there is is reflecting. Um, I think that's a very important, and that's kind of what you guys are kind of uh talking through there and that's such an essential part of of conflict and conflict resolution it's being able to ask yourself these question questions like how did i contribute what was my motive what do i want what do i think she wants and you know and then even planning to have that conversation at some point and and, and clarifying those goals because you're right most of our conflict is really different hierarchy of values okay why do you value this and why do i value this and being able to have those conversations, believe it or not, people don't even take the step, uh, the, the next step of reflecting uh, on the conflict. And they just assume that we had a conflict and we just sweep, like their idea of reconciliation is like, forgive me, but not really actually try to solve those, those, those competing desires. And that is the hardest part, by the way, unraveling those desires, because at least for me, it's clear in my mind what I want and how I want to get there but not necessarily for the other person. It could be a very difficult thing. And that's one thing that we might need to recognize is that some people have a much more difficult time unraveling their own thinking. And so you have to help them do that. Yeah. yeah. So. No, you're, you're right. And that's, that's why, that's why this is so messy mm-hmm. because your wife brought up a good point at, at one of the women's group that, that sometimes you don't actually get to the source of the problem in one conversation. Sometimes it takes time mm-hmm. like an onion to peel back those layers, right? Onions have layers. Ogres have lasers layers. <laughs> what I learned from Shrek. Yeah. So, right. And sometimes it takes time. So you have to realize too, right? That just because you had one conversation, if you then expect to never have to have that conversation ever again, again, false expectation, you know, y- your spouse, right. Depending on the issue, the person you're dealing with, this may be a 25 to 30 year problem and they're just now getting around to addressing it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and honestly, to be, to be candid about that, her patience and her kindness and her listening heart helped me to work through so much in, in my own thinking. And I think to, to Gino's point, sometimes they don't even know their own patterns of thought and to be the person to sit there and be gracious and listen and try to help them unravel that so that they can more productively deal with their own demons or can of worms or whatever and things like that everybody brings their own demons and their own can of worms into a conflict and it gets worse if they're unaware that they are there so if you can become a 
a listening ear and a patient person and remove yourself from the equation, right? Like be, be objective and understand that maybe this doesn't have to do with me. It might have something to do with this person that something internally they're dealing with. You can then help that person and serve, serve that person. So my wife did that for me and our marriage has been totally different, you know, you know, and since that had, had happened. So that was pretty amazing. It's as you talk, it's interesting. Cause like a light bulb went off in, in much conflict is actually where our one another ministry comes out. Mm. So I think it's actually cruel to say, okay, obviously Ramil, you have a problem and I'm just going to leave you to go figure it out. Mm-hmm. I'll, re- I'll pray for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah I'll yeah. pray for you. And the reason yeah. why I think that's cruel is this, we all have blind spots and Hebrews three twelve to 14 talks about that. We are to encourage one another as long as today is called today because of the deceitfulness of sin. Well, also in isolation is Proverbs 18. One is one of the worst things you can do is to isolate yourself. And the point being that oftentimes by ourselves we are not able to understand ourselves well enough to actually diagnose the problem. So that's where you can actually serve this. The conflict that, and I'm glad you said that may actually not just be about you. It may be that you were in the room. Mm-hmm. And so realizing that, Hey, broken people do broken things. And sometimes I'm just in the room to experience the broken thing, right? A lot of times sin and conflict is I tell people don't take it personal. Like it's just what it means to live in this life. And so Right, that's where Chelsea was helpful to you because now she can one another you through the conflict, yep. through the problem, help you understand yourself. And without her, you would have probably you would not probably have uncovered it. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Without her, um, I would still be blind in some of those things I was carrying, and and I, I might even bring up too. Why does this keep coming back to the marriage context? Because <laughs> the marriage context is like the most intimate relationship you can have with anyone. And if it works there, it will work in all other relationships in your life. And what I mean by work is that if you are God glorifying in your marriage, then you will be God glorifying in all your other relationships. Yes. Yeah. You just can't usually hug and kiss the person. the same way. (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah, You don't want to do that to your boss. Holy kiss. Yeah. yeah, You shouldn't. That's awkward. (laughs) Hey dude, back off. Yeah, you didn't yeah. kiss me at the darkest. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know, I know. We reconciled, bro, but I'm not going to kiss you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I'm not even going to yeah. sit on the couch and watch a movie with you. And mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> okay, so yeah, that's. Um, so, what should we be willing to do? Um, we, we're talking about really step two, which is listening to understand the other person and help the other person understand. Um, so, I'm trying to understand you. You're trying to understand me. That's a part of the conflict resolution phase. Um, I think four, be willing to acknowledge your own mistakes and confess your own contributions. Okay. Hey, what this brought out was that I assumed this and I, you know what, please forgive me. I didn't communicate that. Please forgive me. I didn't say, I didn't say that. You know what? I made that assumption or, Hey, you know what? Um, I didn't realize this was such a sensitive issue for you. Had I known that I wouldn't have made the joke about that. You know, please forgive me. I'm not at all trying to be derogatory, you know, uh, you know, so, um, Guys have guys can joke with guys in the ways that guys can joke, but they often can't joke with their wives in the same way. True. And so, right. But every now and then you forget that and you make a statement and you're like, Oh yeah, I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. And yeah. So just acknowledge, Hey, you know what? Uh, please forgive me. 
to me, to me, asking forgiveness costs nothing. It really like if, if I, right. Cause Romans 12, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. I look, I will happily acknowledge my mistakes, especially if it'll make you feel better, especially if it'll help resolution. Um, all right. So are there anything else that we should be willing to do in reconciliation? One, we've accept, we've accepted that it's there and we're going to pursue it. Two, we're going to try to understand the other person. Three, we're going to be willing to acknowledge my own mistakes. Now, by the way, that's important that it's said that way. I am willing to acknowledge my mistakes because there are some of us that are going to sit there until the other person acknowledges their mistakes. And what you've got to realize is that's not actually your job. You have got to let the Holy Spirit work in their life. Yeah, be first. You taught me that. It's yep. like be first to yep. acknowledge your mistake. Be first to run to reconciliation because actually that's leadership. Yeah. Right? You want your spouse to recognize their mistake. You be the one who's always first in recognizing yours. Yep. So, but if you're going to sit there and wait and, you know, kind of get in your barracks and get ready to fire whenever, whatever, whatever, like you're teaching your family to do that. Yes. That's what you're teaching your family to do. So if you're not first in acknowledging your errors, they won't be ever first. Don't ever expect them to be first. That's right. Yeah. It's also interesting. Some people grew up in homes where when they did admit the mistake they made, that was lorded over to them and hovered over their head all the time. Yeah. Well, you've even admitted to blah, blah, blah. So that, that factor right there, I have found make some people really slow to admit mistakes because in their mind, they're going, wait a minute, did I just give you ammunition for the future? Yeah. Which yeah. is why when they admit their mistake, you can't, you can't put that in your chamber and load it as a round. Like it's a, like it's a piece of ammunition. Right. That's the other side of the coin. I think you said this um, when we were talking, you know, maybe even earlier in the day, it's like you could be both right and wrong at the same time. That's right. And a lot of people think if I um, if I admit to a mistake, I've conceded the fight. I'm the complete loser in this context. And now the other person has the upper hand. Well, what are you doing? Like you're playing war games. Like yeah. I always say in any context, I mean, I, like, I don't like to play Game of Thrones. We're not playing like, you know, pol political like manipulation here. We're, we're trying to do what is right in the sight of the Lord. So you should also acknowledge when the person is right. You don't just look at their, oh, I, they admitted they're wrong. Now I'm 100% right. Like, mm -hmm. that's not reality. It isn't reality. No, may, it's may, not. may I ask a question? Oh, yeah, fire for effect. Would you point out gross sin? Like, or, or like, let's just say uh, a sin, like you're not fighting over differing values that are both good. Like there was actual like, like you you know sin involved um do you just ask forgiveness for what you've done is there reconciliation basically if you were hurt, specifically hurt by something um that the other person did that needs to be like addressed like you know yeah um, let's say they stabbed you in the heart with a knife or something yeah, yeah. i mean <laughs> in my in my world in my little ideal world ideally you should be able to forgive anybody for anything Mm -hmm. right, ideally. Um, and so, um, but what does life look like after forgiveness? Mm -hmm. 
you know, ideally you could both sit at the table and smile and pretend like that never, and not let that event affect you. Right. So let's say we're talking about a rape victim. In my, in my world, ideally, can there be forgiveness between the two people? And the answer is yes. Now, what does restoration look like? Um, let's say they both get saved. Like, I'm not going to say to the victim, hey, I think you have to invite him over for Thanksgiving dinner. Mm-hmm. Like, I realize that things may not be perfect with those two until they're at the banquet table. Right. And so there's a part of me that just realizes because of the nature of what happened, it may be that they can't be there. They maybe can't be friends until the banquet table. And I, I, I understand that, you know, however, I would still say to the victim, you have to learn how to forgive this person. Like, yes, it's hard. Yes. It's difficult. Yes. What, what they did to you is traumatizing and wrong. However, you are still, what you did to the Lord was still way worse than what, than what that person did to you. And you still found forgiveness. So be willing to offer forgiveness. Mm. Yeah. And what about, now bring that to a marriage relationship where yeah. maybe it wasn't like something as gross as rape or something, but there was sin involved. You've said your piece, ask forgiveness. They've done something hurtful to you. Do you point out that sin at all? Or are you just saying, um, you know, um, uh, reconciliation, just me admitting my, my wrongs. Yeah. So what you're talking about to me goes back to the, um, when do we conflict like the hills that we die on Mm -hmm. to me that that's going back to what are some, um, what are some wrong response? So when we were talking about what are some wrong response to conflict or what are wrong reasons to engage in conflict? That also necessitates the question, what are some right reasons to engage in conflict? And I think at that point, it might be a wisdom issue. Like if you're trying to tit for tat, then I wouldn't bring it up because you're you're trying to use their sin as an arsenal. However, um, let's say you did something wrong. I mean, honestly, what often happens is um, one spouse commits adultery and the other one goes and does the same thing. And so then the one spouse points out to the other spouse what they did and right. The reality is yes, they're both in sin. Mm-hmm. Um, but what the one spouse, right. That that's where it's layered because it's also like, especially if it's the man that does it first, well, you kind of led by example in a way mm-hmm. and your spouse just followed your example. However, your spouse is culpable and responsible for her actions too. So therefore, right. Like, you do, it is fair to say, hey, listen, I know I sinned against you. You too also then went and did the same thing, mm. you know. But again, my my concern at that point is how low are both of our convictions that we are willfully sinning against each other in gross ways? Mm-hmm. Like to me, there's a, the, the self-reflective part is, okay, man, my house has some problems, and we, we got to figure out, we got, we got to learn Jesus a little more here. Right, we got to understand right. the gospel better. Mm-hmm. And so I may not say something. I may look at my spouse and say, man, I, I am a sinful human being and have not led you well. I'm going to seek help to be the kind of, to be a God, the kind of godly man that you need in your life. 
And I realize you may not follow me. I realize you may not want to follow me, but, but I know I need help and I'm going to go get help. Okay. Yeah. Fair. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like that's what you hope happens. Yeah. I would also say, I mean, the answer to that question is yes, depending on the context. I think, I think sin should be addressed. Um, especially when you're, you know, you're trying to lead one another to Christ. It's like not addressing sinful motives and actions is actually counterintuitive to spiritual discipleship to, to run away from the confrontation of, and this is where sometimes I think, uh, again, the running away from confrontation to not address like things that are sinful, it can be detrimental um, as a recipient, for example, of like something my wife was addressing with me, I thought it was helpful because it helped me to see uh, something that I wasn't right in, in my mind and in my heart and all of that. And then on her end, it protected from anger, bitterness and resentment, mm, you yeah. know, because if you don't address something that's sinful, that's happening and it's constantly hurting you, hurting you and you're bottling it up, right? Mm-hmm. What's happening then? You know, you're, it's a time bomb. The whole thing's a time bomb. But if you can, if you can address it in a productive manner and say, Hey, this, this is there, this is what I see. What do we do about it? It took time with, with me, but eventually it led to my own sanctification. You know, like I was sanctified and I think maybe the good uh, thing about that by God's grace is that we were both introspective and we were both trying to understand ourselves and that may be a key ingredient there mm, right yeah. so in pointing in pointing other people's sin but i i do think it's really important i think it's the way you do it too right it's like yes. if you're doing it to wield the sword versus like you know this this needs to change because uh this is a blind spot mm-hmm. so yeah yeah it's you know I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to know your own strengths and weaknesses at this point and and a lot of times I've actually, it's weird. I don't like conflict, but I've actually come to appreciate it because I think if, if we're teachable, there's a part to where conflict helps us understand me better and helps me understand my wife better. And I've definitely learned through conflict that I'm prone to project my own thinking onto other people. And then you realize that's actually a very common denominator in all of us. Sorry. And so it's helpful because you go, okay, wait a minute. She doesn't have my train of thought. She's got slightly different values and goals. And at one point I remember going, is it okay that my wife has a different kind of agenda than I do? Yes, because the Lord has actually given her different responsibilities and it's good that she's focused on the house in this way. And these things need to be done. I'm, I'm thankful she does them, you know? And so, right. A lot of times you can actually learn about yourself and your spouse through the conflict. Um, nobody likes going through conflict. Uh, no, no human being enjoys it. And if you do enjoy it, you're probably pugnacious. Just let me be honest with you. Uh, and you need to repent. You need to come to terms with that. Um, but, um, the value of conflict, I, I wouldn't take it away now because the things I've learned about my wife and hopefully that she's learned from me, and I sit there and I think about the way we dealt with things 16 years ago, 17 years ago is different than the way we deal with things now. And you go, you know what? A lot of that was, was by having to like slice each other up a little bit with paper cuts. 
and let those scars heal and learn from them and, and, you know, and, and keep going forward. Um, which, which kind of brings up the last one. How, what is resolution? What, what does it look like? And right. What does restoration look like? Because in conflict, right, you're trying to resolve the issue. And, and I want to say out of the gate, it's a wis- it's often a wisdom issue. Re- resolution does not look the same in every fight. Every conflict doesn't look the same. Um, there's a couple warnings. It is not you bend to my will. I, you know, wave a magic wand. What does the resolution look like? If your response to that is in the conflict, oh, my spouse or my coworker or this does this for me. Well, that, that. You're being selfish. Like, let's just be very honest. Here's my blunt. Not being blunt to be mean. Not trying to step on your toes. But trying to call a spade a spade so that we deal with the spade. That is not fair resolution. The only person that can say to us, you need to bend to my will, is the is the Lord himself. And since I'm not the Lord, I don't get to say that. So second, um, one of the other warnings resolution is not is not this issue never comes up again that is not resolution that's sweeping it under the rug or setting up false expectations we are sinful human beings right if you catch your spouse looking at pornography and you confront your spouse and you have a big knockdown drag out brawl and then when it's over you're like okay this will i'll know this is resolved because it never comes up again well you know what if your spouse has been struggling with that for 25 years it may take a little bit more than one blow up argument to deal with that. So, right, it might come up again. You might have a money argument for the rest of your life once a month. You know what? Like, again, I'm not saying it's okay, but at the other hand, like, I'm just saying, like, that it's not, well, that we've just never got this resolved. You know, you'll, you'll hear famous people get divorced and they'll say, well, we just couldn't, um, What's the terminology they use? Um, irreconcilable differences. Yes, irreconcilable differences. <laughs> there, there are no irreconcilable differences in marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's learning how to pursue the Lord and to maintain your godly responsibilities with different opinions. Yep, yep. I agree with all of that. I think the picture that gets painted in my mind is, you know, if that, that whole idea of like, well, resolution is it went my way. That's like the, the logical conclusion to a pugnacious manipulative person who's like, it always has to go my way and I will always win the arguments. Um, the other side too is for the person who's always running away. It's like, well, then I will always acquiesce to what you want so that there's no trouble. But the problem with that person, so the other person increases in their pride over time and they become domineering and kind of abusive. The other person actually, if you think nothing bad's happening to them, something very sinister is happening to them. And that is that they're increasing in anger, bitterness, and resentment on the inside. And those are usually the people who one day is just going to wake up and be like, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. And you thought, wow, I thought I thought things were great. You know, you were doing everything the way I hope you would, et cetera, et cetera. And so both like conclusions are wrong. And I think that resolution is rarely that one person gets everything they want. Uh, I think resolution is usually both parties get something they want and both parties get something they don't want. And that is to me 
a good practical like I, I apply that in my life in my household you know it's like my mom lives with us you know i have my wife my mom you know uh you know my kids so the rule in my household is everybody gets something they want and everybody gets something they don't want and that's how we're going to keep this going you know so i think resolution does if you think resolution means it went your way bad you know bad <laughs> yeah you gotta do that with your kids a lot yeah yeah like sometimes yeah, I, I think I think for me that resolution also is what is what does the Lord want from us? Mm-hmm. Can can the wife and I minister to other people, and even slightly disagree with the way we minister to other people? Like right, because at some level it's a preference. The truth gets funneled into me to where I try to honor God and the truth. Like I try to love you, but. My goal is to love you, and so I try to serve to love you. But at some level, my personality and train of thought and unique gifting comes into play. And my wife is not me. So can she also honor the Lord, walk with me, serve God, and her personality come to bear? And can we both do that? And the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. So even there, resolution is not hey, you do it my way, resolution might look like, okay, how do we as a family love one another and serve one another, right? How do we, how do we do this? How do we stay engaged in the one another's, right? One of the things that like for Kyle and I, it's just as the church has grown, it has gotten harder and harder for us to have people over. Um, and, and that's weird. I don't understand why, um, the, it's just like the more I shed responsibility, the busier I am. It, it's the craziest thing, right? It's this weird, and Thomas was, I think, right in this. It's that you realize how much more those jobs that you were doing kind of part-time, you realized how much more there was really to do in those things. And the answer is yes. Um, but but part of that is, right, okay, how do we how do we engage other people, spend time with other people, you know, outside of church while also walking as a family. And so Kyle and I've had to learn how to navigate those issues a little bit and realize that, Hey, I can't have it my way and have people over five times a week. Um, so we, we, you know, we may have to do it this way, or I may have to do it this way, or I may have to try to have lunch with guys and, and try to like manage my schedule a little differently. And that's okay because that, that resolution there is not, right, is not to have it my way. It's how do we do this, right? We're both committed to it. That's the thing. We're both committed to it. It's just that how that fleshes out requires me to realize, hey, I've got to give up some things on my end, and she's going to, like, she's giving up some things on her end, you know, because for a while I haven't, like, you know, just, you don't, because, right, if your spouse doesn't do it your way, you're prone to think, oh, so you don't want to do it at all. And that, that's the worst thing you can think, right? Like, no, that's not true at all. So you've got to work that out. Yeah. Yep. I love that because the gospel and the glory of God becomes the ultimate arbiter of whose values come out on top. And as a family, it really forces you to think about what are my motives here and what I'm fighting for. And you, you immediately start to weed out very selfish motives. Yes. You immediately start to go, 
oh, I see, I'm being selfish in this way, in this way, in this way. When you start thinking about how is the gospel being seen in the way we're responding to the situation and how are we glorifying God uh, in this situation, you know, and then and then now you're you're addressing really deep sin issues immediately because you have that as a as a rubric. Yeah. I, I joke with everybody that I think every couple had the Christmas argument. Um, every couple's fought over Christmas. And and the reason being is because you have both of you grew up in different homes with different traditions, with different expectations, and there are different aspects of the Christmas season that each of you probably enjoy. And so then when you get married, you're trying to bring those to bear. And that's why Christmas becomes the argument because it's really where you two have to sit down and figure it out together as a couple. And it may mean giving up, you know, the Christ. It may mean, Hey, in our house, I gave up the Christmas tree being put up after Thanksgiving. And instead now we put the Christmas tree up the day before Halloween. Right. I may have to give that up. <laughs> um, the funny part is, I told Kyla a couple of years ago, okay, you know what? I don't care anymore if you put the Christmas tree up before Thanksgiving. She didn't believe me for like a week. It wasn't until I said something to one of you guys when she then believed me. She was like, oh, wow, you really did change your mind. Yeah, because you like it. I don't care when the tree goes up. Like, I just like Thanksgiving. And, you know, in my mind, if we put Christmas up first, we are cheapening Thanksgiving. Well, that that's not true at all, right? That was just silly on my part. So now she's got a tree partially up. She's working on it, but I, but it's like, I don't care. I can walk around the tree. I honestly, right. And so these, these are the point, right. That is you, uh, Christmas draws out to me. The is the perfect example of two people having to navigate their past as they then formulate their traditions going forward. Now for, for, for believers, those traditions have to be woven under the banner of what is God's will and our responsibility as a family. And that's where that's that's where a lot of times discipleship's needed. Because I don't personally I think your kids can be in sports and you be a godly couple who pursues Christ. However, there are also those families out there that it is obvious that Christ does it doesn't matter. Sports is king in their home. Right, and so there, there's a difference there. And so if your kids are great at sports and have the, all the potential to be NFL, major league players or whatever, professional athletes, you still have to teach them. Like Allison Felix, right? Her dad, Paul Felix, was one of our seminary professors. Well, she's a believer, and she's a top-tier Olympic athlete. So there, I'm sure there was many conflicts in their home as Paul and his wife and their family had to navigate how do we maintain the responsibilities to the Lord while also understanding this gift that she has and allowing her to run faster than any of us in the room can run. Right. And so it's, you know, that, that, that I'm sure that took time. It'd be interesting to hear Paul's perspective on that mm-hmm. because at no point would you ever look at Paul and say, Oh, he, he was not as committed to the gospel as other people. Mm-hmm. There's no way, right? The guy, I mean, the guy loves the Lord, disciple maker loves the church been a part of 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 discipling pastors for 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 years right probably 20 30 years i'm guessing mm-hmm. so you know what i mean like that that's just this like that you could, there's got to be a way to do it and so that's probably a good example we, we should find a way to get paul on the podcast i'd love to hear that 
that would be an interesting conversation. It would be an interesting conversation. Yeah, because yeah, she's gold medalist runner. Right. Yeah. I think she's like one of the, the United States' most decorated Olympians. Yep. Allison Felix. Mm-hmm. So there's a family that was able to, I mean, and it'd be interesting, how many conflicts are in their past? You know, and I'm sure Allison has conflicts with some of her co-runners, with some of her teammates because of her because of her love for Jesus Christ too. Mm-hmm. You know, and so again, learning how to work with people with different goals and different perspectives, you know, and I think that's where we've seen the most manipulative people are the people that can't accept that your goals vary from my goals, and so I need you to warp into what I understand. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And it's just coercion. It's all coercion. Um, I think I love the idea too of practice, right? Like you you don't get really, really good. I guess speaking of someone who's a runner, who's like an Olympian runner, you don't get better at something without practice. And so if you're a kind of person who engages in manipulative forms of conflict or running away from conflict, you're not getting the practice on the right kind of conflict to have. So get started, you know, and, and don't be afraid of it and don't engage it in the wrong way. Like find ways to biblically do it um, and come out, you know, honoring the Lord and you'll get better at it. Yeah. No, you're, you're a hundred percent right. Work at it. Look, Mm -hmm. if, when you're early married and your 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 conflict looks, you're embarrassed about it. The, there's a part of it's like, okay, you probably should be embarrassed about some of it, <laughs> but I'm happier that you did it. I'm more concerned. Did you reconcile? Did you at least ask forgiveness? Right. You know, because honestly, you're you're probably going to be better off than the couple that just both of them swept it under the rug and pretend it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You, that that couple's got a time bomb in the future of a lot of problems yeah yeah Yeah. and you were you were really teasing it out in the earlier part of this podcast which is you learn a lot through the conflict about yourself and and your spouse or your friend or your boss or whatever so like if you're paying attention you're you're gonna get better you're gonna be more sanctified and all of those things but if you spend years and years and years just sweeping things under the rug and never addressing these things you haven't grown you're not going to grow um and you're still the same person so it's like you know get to work (laughs) yeah there's a principle that this discussion has helped me teachable people win in every situation Mm. that right i mean how many times do we need to bring up because again, what we're like in the conflict, teachable people win because the goal, and even there, right? The goal of resolution is not to win the argument. The goal is to, is to keep winning the person. And the goal is to keep walking with the person. And man, if you, again, the things I've learned from Kyle and I through conflict, uh, they're invaluable. How would you, you could never take those away. Right. I mean, yes, they hurt. Yes. There were moments of pain and probably tears and, but but to look back on it and go, okay, man, but I understand this woman better than I did 17 years ago. That's worth it. Absolutely. And you know what? We're not done growing and changing. So we're not done learning each other. And we're, we're going to have another conflict in the future. It'll be her fault, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Again, somebody's going to, somebody, if they listen this long, is going to hear that and go, ah, that's what a chauvinist. I'm just kidding. I don't, <laughs> it's obviously my fault. So, yep. Okay. 
Do we have any other thoughts? Oh, it's very good. Very helpful to think nuanced about conflict. It's not a, a simple sweep it under the rug and pretend you're everything's okay. It's actually dealing with the issues, dealing with your own heart most of all, and being uh, realizing that the goal is to look more like Christ, not just to solve or get what you want. Um, in the end, it doesn't matter what we get; matters what we look like at the end of the the conflict and. You know, did, did we did we grow a little bit more to look like Christ? And I have to realize that in, in the conflict, you know, that God had with us, He He died for us, and um, that's amazing. That's that's so uh, that that should like uh, that should be so compelling in in the way we handle conflict. So yeah, thanks guys. That was really helpful sitting in and listening here. So we we tackled conflict. We probably have more we could say on the subject. I'm sure somebody will ask questions and. I mean, there's no way we're done with this. Right. Um, have we had a money podcast yet? Like we throw money in the air and yeah. <laughs> just, don't like we just don't care. <laughs> hey, <laughs> must be the money. <laughs> so I guess the only, I mean, right. So we just dealt with communication and conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, talked a little bit about money. Yep. Yeah. Then the only other thing to hit is sex. And then that's, that means we've hit all the big issues in marriage, right? And then we don't need to do anything else. Our ministry's done because we've <laughs> talked about the big three. It's, yep. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Awkward silence after. Fun. <laughs> I, yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. you guys, yeah. you guys know. I actually am annoyed that the church won't talk about sex more than it does, uh, because it again is a major part of marriage. Yep. And um, the reality is, I think the silence from the church has been less helpful. Because yeah. what's allowed to be communicated are the assumptions. And then we let Hollywood end up defining the act. Yeah. Because they're the only ones talking about it. Exactly. The congregation goes elsewhere to find information on how they're going to deal with the issues that they have, you know, inside of the intimacy realm of, of their relationships. And yeah. you're right. Like, I don't I don't think we should be shy about that stuff. You know, obviously appropriate, but at the yes. same time, there are... You were reading Corinthians. I know. Uh, I was thinking about that. Uh, the other, yeah, Sunday. <laughs> yeah. With and, kids in the room. Yeah, yeah, and so so the line that's been getting thrown lately <laughs> in my house is conjugal rights. <laughs> <laughs> From your kids? From my wife. <laughs> oh, She's See, like, hey, conjugal rights. <laughs> I, I love it. I, yeah. I think it's like... Like that, that's my whole point, right? Here we are yeah. reading through first Corinthians and the text comes up and talks about it. And for some people it's like, well, that's not things the church should be talking about. Okay. So then, so then when God writes about it, Hey God, you do know that's a little too private. Yeah. Like who created it? Who orchestrated it? Like, why is it there? It's, it's there for a reason. And I, I think we should talk about it. So I'm just, going to propose now live on air that that be a discussion here in the future that we have sure okay um a lot of people again don't i don't know that anybody intentionally goes to hollywood for answers i think what happens is the lack of any biblical conviction on the subject allows the portrayal of the event to end up governing expectations yeah so right Somebody, somebody, even like even even the clean Hollywood quote unquote sex scenes that don't show anything, right? They don't show no nudity, even allude to it. A lot mm-hmm. of them still set up this expectation 
Yeah. And so, right, like the fact that love is crescendoed in sex, well, that's actually not, the Bible didn't say that at all. So, right, so then now we have people saying, well, in order for our love between man and man to be crescendoed and pure, there's got to be some kind of sexual intimacy. Well, eh, like it's possible for guys to just love each other and have affection, like, you know, be excited that, that they're around this other guy. And, um, not, I'm not talking about sexually aroused, but, but you know what I mean? Just like to have that there and to say, Hey, there's an affection that I have for these guys and I love these guys and for it not to be sexual in thought. Right. Whereas yeah. Hollywood's like, well, in order for that to be love. And again, that ends up creeping into people's thinking. Uh, the reason why the porn industry is so bad is because it sets up these expectations for what sex is. That's, that's contrary to reality. And so then guys, wives are not okay because they're not these porn stars. Yeah. And so porn becomes degrading in that way because of what it does. You know, and, and part of it is sets up these expectations and it invites you into a room that you're not invited into. Mm-hmm. And so, right. That's it's for husband and wife when they're both say yes, that's what it's for. So yeah, I think just defining it and understanding it's probably beneficial. Yes. All right. Next podcast. Let's talk about sex, baby. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Schmex. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's also a source of a lot of conflict. It is in a reality, of a lot of right? Conflict. So yes, to, it to, is. to to bring it back around, um, it's an area that is a source for a lot of conflict. But then, you know, it's like if you don't want to talk through it, um, now the couples in your church are left to fend for themselves. Good luck, guys. You know, it's like yeah. figure it out. But no, like I think we can certainly understand that from a biblical lens mm-hmm. yeah agreed all right well we're done fighting so we're <laughs> gonna end the music right now mm-hmm.